0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This is The Fall Line. One of our ongoing series this year focuses on databases and how they can help us understand crime, cold cases, and who is and who isn't counted. So far, you've heard from Todd Matthews from the DOE Network and Anita Lucchesi from Sovereign Bodies Institute, both representing organizations doing very different and very important work. We have several more database discussions planned this year, and this week, we wanted to revisit new work from some old friends. We first met Anthony Redgrave and Lee Bingham Redgrave, who run the Trans Doe Task Force and Redgrave Research, in 2019. That's when we pooled information to build the publicly available knowledge on an unidentified homicide victim, a trans woman nicknamed Julie Doe. At the time we met, the Redgraves had already been using their forensic genetic genealogy skills to help solve cold cases in cooperation with various organizations, and in their own passion project, the Trans Doe Task Force. In the past year, they've begun to train forensic genetic genealogy interns and have expanded their business, Redgrave Research. They've also taken on a totally new project, a database. This database arose in collaboration with Jesse Veltstra, who was a longtime citizen advocate for missing persons awareness. She's also currently a genealogy intern with the Red Graves and, along with a number of other interested people across the country, is learning how to apply the skills of forensic genetic genealogy to cold cases. This database is called LAMP, that's L-A-M-M-P, short for LGBT Plus Accountability for Missing and Murdered Persons. It's the very first database of its kind, and it's a way to track the missing and murdered, including unidentified persons or DOE's in the LGBTQ community. If you've visited databases like Namus, you've probably used the search functions that operate to generate long lists of cases. But LAMP isn't like that. It's something totally unique. Here's how LAMP explains their work, according to their own website. Quote, LGBT people are underserved by the standard and most widely used databases available to compare missing persons to unidentified remains. Working with the admins from Trans Cold Cases and Missing, Murdered, and Unidentified LGBT+, the Transdo Task Force is facilitating a database to serve the community and attempt to match any unidentified people with missing people whose cases require LGBT plus informed care and consideration. The database is private and only searchable to those with an approved login in order to protect the details of missing people who may be endangered. It includes support for professional use by investigators, anthropologists, medical examiners, detectives, etc., as well as use by forensic genetic genealogists and includes fields for GEDmatch numbers of family members and related family trees. This service is provided free of charge you do not need to create an account to submit a case report. End quote. And it's not just LAMP's focus that's different. It's the database itself. It's an interactive map that gives you a visual of the cases in each state, literally, across a map of the United States, but also has features that make case information immediately available with a hover or a click. For those of us who are used to slogs through page after page of linear results on databases like NamUs, LAMP's organization of information is almost breathtakingly different. It should probably come as no surprise that Anthony Redgrave, who designed the map, has a master's in instructional design and technology, and is now working on his education doctorate in transformative leadership. LAMP was put together with users in mind. And those users, this is a limited access site and everyone must be approved, will have varying degrees of comfort with internet research. LAMP truly makes it easier to navigate, to find cases, and even to find patterns. And LAMP is different in other ways too. Like Anita Lucasi at Sovereign Bodies, the designers of LAMP are working to track cases that otherwise may not properly be counted, or in some instances, even be logged as cases at all. Because of some of the unique features of LGBTQ plus cases, like chosen family versus biological family sometimes being the point of contact, it's occasionally impossible for a missing person's loved ones to even file a report. LAMP hopes to address these issues and many others as they continue to build their database. Recently, I sat down with Jesse Weltstra, who's the major organizing force behind LAMP. Prior to her volunteer work with the TransDo task force and her internship in forensic genetic genealogy, she spent much of her free time helping to share and publicize missing persons cases. She still does that work today. You can find her Twitter info in our show notes, along with a link to the LAMP submission form. This is a relatively new database How did it come about?
1: Well, I have been looking at missing and unidentified LGBTQ people for for years. And I kept a running handwritten list and also a list online that I would send out to people, like uh, podcasts that were interested in maybe covering some of the cases. And um, Lee and Anthony and I had been talking for a, a very long time about how to combine the efforts to look for those members of our community with the work that the Transto task force was doing with the unidentified persons database that they had. I had printouts and spreadsheets and all of this other just information sitting here basically at my desk and my desktop and uh, Lee and Anthony were like, "Let's go ahead and do a database for this." And uh, Anthony created the the format for the database and the forms to enter everything into the database. Um, and then the map and the map functionality. And then me and Lee and Anthony played around with how the best format and the the best functionality for the database was. And we continue to do that. So if we find that something is not working properly, or if it's not working as well as it could, then we will change things around.
0: What does LAMP do that other databases don't or can't?
1: So The chosen family of LGBTQ people oftentimes will not be able to report someone as missing to the police, or they will struggle really, really hard to get the police to listen to them. And they will give preference to the biological family or the family of origin when it comes to filing missing persons reports for them. So it's very important that people from within the community who know a person is missing be able to report them as missing to somebody. Another part of that uh, is that there is a long and contentious history of interactions uh, between the police and LGBTQ people. Um, Many people in my community do not want to be in contact with the police um, and will avoid it at all costs. They, They will not contact them because it may not be safe. They may have had a traumatic experience in the past with them. And then also knowing that uh, when you contact them, they might not take you seriously anyway. So that's part of the reason why it's very important that people who are in the chosen family, people who are friends with a person who is missing are able to just enter in that information or contact us so that we can we can help facilitate getting that information uh, where it needs to be because we can also contact agencies and we can also go ahead and uh, enter missing persons cases into places like Namus or we can contact uh, a place like the Faces Lab and and talk to them about getting a missing person included in their databases, which which will help with uh, attempting to find the missing person. Our database is private as well, uh, and that is to avoid causing potential problem or maybe accidentally outing someone who is not openly LGBTQ. Some of the people in our missing person's database are endangered and having the database that we have be publicly available would open up missing people and their families and their friends to harassment from people who are, you know, homophobic or transphobic. That is unfortunately a thing that we do know happens, but it's it's also a reason why we try and keep our information locked down. Um, so so that we can protect the the people and the loved ones that are involved with missing persons cases. So if, if you want to see the information in the missing persons database at LAMP, you have to be given access specifically, and it's got to be approved. And the only people that can approve that are me, Enley, and Anthony, and all three of us talk about Anybody who asks to have access, Lee and Anthony have the final say in everything. And uh, so you have members of the community who are acting like a firewall and making sure that uh, nobody's going to get access to that information that should not have access. We have the ability with our database to to uh, collaborate with, Professionals like anthropologists and medical examiners and detectives. And we also have fields uh, in our database for forensic genetic genealogists to use. So we will have a place for the getmatch kit numbers of relatives and genealogical information, and that is something that's very important if an LGBTQ person is found as an unidentified person, And the agency is performing forensic genealogy on them to try and come up with their identity.
0: So you mentioned keeping your database private, which makes a lot of sense. We've discussed this before when we spoke with Anita Lucchese of Sovereign Bodies Institute, and they have a really careful process for who can access information and for what reasons. So in terms of LAMP, like who might be granted access and for what reason?
1: Yes, we will give some access to people who are researching cold cases. So anthropologists, people that are investigating maybe uh, serial killers in an area. Sometimes we will allow detectives access to the database based on their need for a case. Uh, Usually that involves unidentified persons, cases that they have, but not always. We will not grant access just because somebody sends us a case. We have to really weigh the benefit for the particular cases that we're dealing with. In both the Transo Task Force Unidentified Persons Database and also the LAMP database, uh, we have to, to weigh the needs of those cases against how likely it is to be damaging to let somebody into the database with that information. We will investigate anybody who asks for access. We will allow people like medical examiners and, uh, and coroners and things like that. Um, people in those positions, we will allow to have access because it's important that they are able to see the potential LGBTQ people in the area, and frankly, uh, if they are coming and looking for our help for a particular case, there is probably a reason for it that we may or may not know. Uh, Medical examiners do not randomly find us and come and ask to have access to our database. We may not be told why they would like access but usually there is a very good reason. Um, And it's, it's usually because they are trying to identify a specific person that has been found and is unidentified. When we are looking for missing people, we utilize existing databases extensively Um, I personally am going through databases constantly, um, not just NamUs and the Doe Network and the Charlie Project, but also state databases and county databases and uh, citywide databases and sometimes databases in other countries. And We will evaluate the information available in them to see if uh, a person is part of the LGBTQ community. And we will have to search for various different terms. Um, some of them are outdated or slurs because that is how they are listed in some missing persons databases. We will also look for very specific indicators such as a mismatched listed sex and a picture or a mismatched looking name with their picture. Um, and sometimes that is just a, a mistake, which we find out after we contact the agency involved. But sometimes it's not, and, uh, and we will find people just by grinding through databases. We also will look on social media um, and, and very specifically look for missing trans people, and then also anybody else who is LGBTQ, it is less common for people to mention that someone is part of the LGBTQ community at all when they report that someone is missing. So uh, we we have to actively look for it. And uh, people will tag us and people will send the information to us, especially if it's a very recent case. Um, and then we can go ahead and contact other databases. Like we have contacted the Charlie Project and Megan from the Charlie Project has updated information or has entered in some people because uh, we, we sent her the information. And also uh, like if I have enough demographic information, then I will go ahead and I will enter in a missing persons case into NAMIS myself a lot of the time. There are various reasons why I may not be able to enter a case into NamUs, but we do try to to make sure that we have all the information possible that we find online, and then get everybody included into NamUs that we can, because it is a national database. And that means that the departments from around the country will be able to access that same information in case the missing person is located in their area, or if they're found as an unidentified person and they are trying to identify them. We have also been in contact with, as I said before, the FACES Lab, who has been very helpful with some cases. I can't enter anything directly in there, but I can contact other databases and see if they will include information or ask them to change and correct information. Working in conjunction with the other databases gives us the best possible chance of locating people who are missing.
0: I know that LAMP is a fairly new project and the Transdo Task Force has been around for years. So when you guys begin LAMP, how did you incorporate the information that the Transdo Task Force had already collected to build the database?
1: One of the things that LAMP does is make it easier to compare missing persons cases and the unidentified persons cases that were part of the work the Transdo Task Force was doing specifically. So, if we're trying to identify an unidentified trans person, uh, it is good to know who is missing in that area already or out of that area. And having a database of missing people made sense. We also, as part of the transit task force, will work with agencies, which LAMP also does, and we provide some community support. We work with other groups. So we have worked with the TDOR site which is the Trans Day of Remembrance site. They track the deaths of trans people around the world and they have very graciously started listing recent unidentified persons who are trans on their site. Just within the past month, that work w- between the Transit Task Force and the T-DOR site directly led to the identification of a young woman who was found last year. She was found in Chicago, and uh, we, we had been working pretty hard to try and get her identified, but could not find any information about anybody being missing in that area. I posted about it on Twitter and uh, the t site. They went ahead and they posted it on their site and also on their Twitter with all of the pertinent information. And this past month, one of her friends came across the description and she was identified as 19-year-old Coco Nia Labija, and, and that is directly a result of the collaboration between the work that the Transdoor Task Force does and what the TDOR site does, which is so incredibly important. We also work with the TCOPs and the New Trans Movement and Plant Transgender, which is a, a new site. We support them and and trade and share information between all of these groups of people who are just trying to help trans people and their cases. LAMP just seemed kind of like a a natural extension of that same work. And uh, we are happy to do it. Uh, We compile a lot of info in one place. And then also we can speak to the family and the friends of people who are missing and who are trans because we are trans transformed or, you know, Lee and Anthony are both trans. So as, as members of our community of the LGBTQ community, we are very aware of the problems that are faced with our missing and unidentified persons' cases. And we understand very intimately, the the difficulties in getting publicity and resources and uh, just getting information out there. What very specific problems can arise with missing trans people like uh, deadnaming and misgendering. We understand what it's like to be alienated from your family because that is also a very big problem. LGBTQ people are more likely to be estranged from their biological family or family of origin. That can cause a a lot of complications and it it can reduce the chances by a lot of any case being solved. So we will try and put publicity out there uh, across social media like on Twitter and on Facebook and with uh, targeted groups in very specific areas and just trying to get the focus where it needs to be with the people that can do the most good for the cases.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? In the very nature of running a database like LAMP, um, I know you're actively going to be looking at missing persons and unidentified persons and trying to match cases if you can. If you come across a possible match, what would be your next steps?
1: My next step, if a match is brought to our attention or if we find one ourselves, is to contact the agency that has the case speak to the detectives or email them and let them know that we think that we have found a match for their unidentified person, um, why we think that they are a good potential match, and uh, then offer additional services if necessary to try and get the person identified. Sometimes NamUs does not always list people as being ruled out, even though they are, because that will be the responsibility of the agency, and not all of them keep that. The Transo Task Force is run by Lee and Anthony, who are forensic genetic genealogists, and they are the best. So we have various other services that we can use to try and help with unidentified persons cases. But the first step is contacting the agency and seeing if the match that we found has been ruled out already, which has happened, or if there are additional services that we can provide.
0: So in some cases, this might be an agency that would have refused to take a missing persons report on someone, right?
1: So uh, that has happened. If they don't have information on a missing persons case I will provide the sources that I have found that are pertinent so that they can attempt to compare the two cases. We have four people in the LAMP database currently that are not listed in any other public-facing database, and I have sources on all of them. And if an agency has been given access to the LAMP database, then they can see those and they can also see the sources that i have listed i have some cases that we have found that are are much older and are in newspaper archives and are not in any public database presently if the police department is not aware of the case even with the newspaper articles as proof they may not be able to find a report or whatever and we've had varying levels of success with trying to convince them to compare a doe to a missing person that they, for whatever reason, can't or won't confirm is actually a missing person.
0: How are you raising awareness of LAMP among the LGBTQ community? What's your biggest challenge in doing so?
1: So one of the ways that We are raising awareness of our projects in LGBTQ plus community is by utilizing social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook and we have done Reddit AMAs with uh, the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit. That was for the Trans Day of Remembrance, and we profiled missing and unidentified trans people for an entire week and then answered questions about the work that we do as the transo task force. We have contacted and and worked with podcasts and uh, YouTubers about very specific cases. A lot of it is just getting out into the community and talking to people. Um, I know that, Lee and Anthony and some of the other volunteers have had booths at Pride back before the coronavirus. And we do plan on doing that again in the future. I plan on working with my local LGBTQ groups here and and uh, having a table at Asbury Park Gay Pride. As soon as we can have Pride in person again... <laughs> But a lot of it is really just getting out into the community and talking to people. Um, I talk to activists and I talk to people who are interested in true crime. And I also just talk to my other queer friends who will also go out and spread the word about cases and about the kind of work that we're doing. We've done conferences and presentations, and we are working a lot more and are looking for other ways that we can increase our ability to support our community.
0: So, I wanted to take a second to talk about LAMP from a design standpoint, as somebody who's actually seen the database because it is totally different from any other database I've ever seen. And I think as soon as I got in, I messaged you to say that. Um, It is very visual. When you're in the database, the information is laid out across a map. Um, It's very colorful. It's really easy to access case information with stats and dates and other data. And I found it really easy to learn to use and to navigate to quickly find cases, see how close together cases are, and to move around the map. And I had never actually been able to visualize the cases in the U.S. And I know you guys are a little further out than just the U.S., but to visualize them that way before. Can you tell us about the design choices for the database? Because they felt really deliberate.
1: The design choices for the database are pretty much entirely because of Lee and Anthony. Anthony is an instructional designer. That's what he's going for his PhD in. And they come from a completely different background with searching than I do. Um, So I am extremely comfortable in old databases, which are extremely difficult to navigate because I am used to them. And that is not a way that Lee and Anthony can comfortably look for information. So when we were figuring out how we were going to present the information, Lee and Anthony decided that it was going to be a more visual representation. And then we tried different ways to present the information and differentiate it from each other to make it easier to use for people who are probably not coming from a background where they are used to grinding through databases um, or don't have time to grind through databases or just are visual searchers as opposed to someone who just is like a spreadsheet or a, a database nerd like I am. Different people have different ways of searching and this, I think, really helps facilitate looking in a different way. We are always looking for ways to improve on what we already have. The design for the database is entirely because of Lee and Anthony. <laughs> that is 100% them.
0: It just struck me as being something that some, there wouldn't be a learning curve for someone who like wanted to go in and find information, they wouldn't have to learn the system. You know, you just immediately pick it up as you're going through
1: it. Yes, and that was intentional. Anthony is, is very, very good at designing things that are easy to use and don't necessarily require a huge amount of background uh, in a system to be able to utilize it. Um, And I, I think that is because of his experience in instructional design. It just kind of makes me wonder how
0: many of the systems that we use in this field could benefit from really thoughtful instructional design, you know, the ones that are publicly available.
1: I think a lot of them could. I think that good instructional designers are not very common Lee and Anthony are extremely good at focusing in and seeing exactly where the, the changes need to be made to things like this and seeing how they can be improved so that the most people can easily navigate them. So is it just the three of you managing LAMP behind the scenes on a day-to-day basis? Yes, it is Lee and Anthony and me that manage the data. And we do have other people that will go and find cases or send us cases, help us publicize cases, and who will enter in cases. But most of the background work for the database is just us three.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? How would you like to see LAMP grow in the future?
1: I would like to see more international cases. I would like to actually find the cases that are currently in the US. Currently in NamUs, we have uh, as of the 29th of April, 2021, Um, There are 20,314 people listed as missing in the NamUs database, and we have 82 people listed as missing in the LAMP database, um, and that is right now currently in the U.S. and Canada. 38 of the missing people in our database are trans or non-binary, and based on Recent studies, we know that probably about 4.5% of the adult population in the U.S. is LGBTQ and 0.6% is trans. So if we're going off of those numbers and assuming that the rate that LGBTQ people or trans people go missing is the same as their presence in the general population, which is probably lowballing it a lot. We are expecting that we should see 914 missing people in the NAMIS database currently who would be LGBTQ and 122 people who are listed in NAMIS should be trans. I have to stress that those numbers would be a starting point because we believe that um, LGBTQ people and trans people specifically go missing at a higher rate than the general population because of economic factors being separated from their biological family and then the resulting difficulty in getting their cases listed as missing. Also, there is a lack of resources and a lack of attention given to those cases. So we really want to find the existing cases that we know are out there. Um, And we we have been working really hard to try and identify missing persons cases where the the person is uh, LGBTQ. We know that we are starting off behind and we are desperately trying to catch up. We would also like to see cases from other countries because our ability to help is not just in the U.S. And we know that there are very few people doing this work and there is need for it. So that is something that we would like to do. We also would like to help with unclaimed persons cases where they know who the person is, but they can't find the next of kin. We have two cases like that of transgender people in the database right now. We are trying to identify the next kin so that we can get them Back and their bodies released to the family. We would like to do some more collaboration with agencies and spread more awareness, do outreach and education. We would like to do more outreach and more education in the community and work with agencies to try and make sure that not only are these cases given attention, but also that the missing people are being treated with respect and being treated appropriately, and that their family, whatever the makeup, if it's chosen or biological or family of origin or some combination of the two, that they are treated properly as well, and given the the support and resources that they should have.
0: So, Jesse, please tell us, how can the Fall Lines listeners help you build this database? How can we help spread awareness of its existence?
1: So you can help us build the LAMP database by either entering in cases of missing LGBTQ people yourself or you can send them to me. I am available on every platform that I find. I am on Twitter and Facebook and uh, you can just tag me into cases that you find. Um, If you know of older cases where someone is missing you can contact us and let us know about them and we will work together to try and get them entered into public-facing databases like NamUs or working with agencies to make sure that those cases are still open. You can also help us by sharing our website and the videos that we've made and the case information that we put out.
0: you can contribute to this project by sharing it, by submitting cases, or by helping to publicize it in other ways. Please reach out to LAMP. Also, please be sure to share their work on social media so that more people will become aware of this valuable resource. Thanks again to Jesse and to all our friends at the TransDo Task Force for participating in our ongoing series on databases. And thank you for listening. The Fall Line is a fully independent show, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIAs, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes that we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, you can join us on Patreon. We're currently raising Patreon funds to continue to fund the Millbrook Twins billboard, begin a therapy fund for families who've been on the show, and many other projects. You can read a public post about those goals on our Patreon page. On Patreon, you can get early release, ad-free versions of our regular episodes, plus blogs and videos, for only $5 a month. We've also added video live streams, which all patrons can enjoy, starting at just a dollar. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Waters, Kim Fritz, and Jessica Ann. Family and law enforcement interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced and engineered by Maura Curry. Content advisement by Brandy C. Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And as always, our most special thanks to Angie Dodd. Currently, our monthly donation is going to Private Investigations for the Missing. Please join us in supporting this nonprofit. They need funds to help families access the service of private investigators. You can find the link in our show notes.